Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com/acast. That's burrow.com/acast. burrow.com/acast. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. No, 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 Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped. And today I'm going to do the intro and get straight into it because we should waste no time. This is my hero, your hero, everybody's hero. This is the man who kicked off those fly on the wall documentaries, absolute nonsense. But it wasn't all off the field. He was an unbelievable rugby player who did things that made us all get up off our seat, get up off our settee because we were probably watching from far away and get very, very excited. He's also one of the nicest and most humble men I have ever met in my life. And I am very, very lucky to say that I've worked with this guy quite a few times and every time I leave better than when I arrived. He is that kind of goodness. So please welcome the British and Irish lion legend, Mr. John Bentley. Hello, sir. Bruce, wow, what an intro. I feel so good at the moment. You are the man. I remember the first time we met and you'd you'd got on a plane, I think, with Scott Hastings to come out to Hong Kong. And uh, I think Scott turned left and you turned right. Is that how it worked? Ah, uh, yeah, something like that. You know, the privileged. <laughs> and since then, we've bumped into each other a few times. And getting to do after dinner speaker, I always feel is a huge honour. But one of the bits of it is I get to listen to people like you. And every time you just have people eating out the palm of your hand, how does that feel? Bruce, I love it. I, I love I love life. I love life first and foremost. Um, I love being centre of attention. 
I like the sound of my own voice. So after dinner speaking lends itself to me. But I want to be liked by people. I want people to like me. Um, I need to be liked. My wife says to me, John, you've got to deal with this. There are some people who don't like you. What? What? They don't like you. So anyway, I, I, I love life, mate. And I love people. It's been quite challenging over the last 14 months um, with the current situation with the world that we're in. And, you know, I've been deprived of that opportunity to mix with people. But it's coming back now, so I'm, um, I'm quite excited. Your wife gives you a bit of a hard time for only having one story to tell, doesn't she? Yeah, she tells me I went on one tour, scored one try, and you got one speech, get over yourself. <laughs> Come on. I love it. It keeps you humble. Now, that... Yeah. That tour, to a lot of rugby union people, they they didn't really know a lot about John Bentley. And then by the end of it, we couldn't get enough. Wow. It was obviously a special tour. And, you know, for me, that was a, a huge moment. I was 17, 18 years old, 97, Doddy Weir, yourself, Rob Howley, Scott Quinnell, you know, even Jeremy Guskett, to a certain extent, became quite likeable for a Scotsman. Uh, Gregor Townsend is a massive hero of mine. What yeah. was it like joining that tour party right at the very beginning? Do you know Do you know what, Bruce? It wasn't on my radar. It really wasn't to tour with the British and Irish Lions. I'd, I'd been in rugby league for nine years. I'd initially played with England back in 88 to 21-year-old on two occasions. Um, and I'd gone to rugby league then, um, um, and, and I had nine years playing professional rugby league. And then I got a phone call. I'd signed with Newcastle in September '96 uh, with Rob Andrew and uh, Sir John Hall's uh, band of brothers. He had an amazing team in the second division, uh, which got promoted and then won the Premiership first time of asking. Um, Frank Cotton rang me January of '97 and said, "Ben Toss, it's Frank." Went. Yeah, I know it's Fran. I'd been with Fran at Sale before turning professional uh, with the rugby league. Um, Fran and, and Steve Smith. And Fran said, I'm going to come straight to the chase. Are you available to tour with the Lions in the summer? And and I wasn't. I wasn't. I Technically, I was supposed to be playing professional rugby league. It was a 12-month contract, eight months with Newcastle, four months with Halifax. But I lied and I said yes. He said, well, with all due respect, you're running riot. You're in a great team. We're going to need to get you a run. Uh, with England A, the, the second string, and rang me back three weeks later and said, England won't touch you. It comes as a very little surprise to either of us, but, you know, but what I'm telling you is we're watching you. And do you know the significant about 97 as well, Bruce, which you probably need to mention is, it was the first time that, so McGeekin was invited, he'd been on the tour in 93, which had been a poor tour, really, in New Zealand. Um, and he was invited to, to coach the 97 Lions tour and he said no and the reason being is in 93 a committee picked the players and he took players that he didn't want to particularly take to New Zealand who weren't equipped to play for the Lions he said the only way I'll consider to if I pick my coaching staff and I also get the opportunity to pick the players we'll get some selectors and we'll pick the players and and that was groundbreaking and also the fact that yeah it was professional but there was so much amateur there and Looking back, we've done lots of work just recently, podcasts and, and the lads of 97 coming together in the build-up to this this tour this year. Everybody talks about our tour being the happy tour, and it was. You know, traditionally, you've got a challenge with that group of players, Bruce. They can all play, but
that you've got four countries, three of which, the Celts, phonetically spelled so incorrectly. Um, you don't particularly like the English, really, if you're honest. And, and then again, I'm a northern boy. I'm from Yorkshire, and I don't particularly like the English. Um, but we actually decided we had an in, a really important meeting with the players, and um, we wanted to, to devise a code of conduct and also recognise how we wanted to be viewed as a group of players. And we agreed for two months of our lives to put our differences to one side. And it worked. We became an amazing group of players off the field, which obviously had a great benefit on the field. And, you know, incidentally, I know I'm talking a lot here, but that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But, incidentally, we play the style of rugby in 97, Bruce, that we've, we've never played since. Before, we've never played since. You know, moving the ball away from their strength, which is their forwards, and putting four or five players behind the ball carrier and playing some rugby. It was amazing. It, it was amazing. The whole thing was amazing because it was able to be televised here. The t there was no time difference, so games happened at kind of suitable times to watch. The the Fly on the Wall documentary, I mean, you're probably sick of talking about it, but it never gets old. And I know, I mean, I've, I've watched it so many times and I'll watch it again, I've got absolutely no doubt. But you you're the kind of guy that every tour party needs to bring that energy and you've already said happiness yeah yeah i um you know it's interesting with the film crew because we arrived in weybridge on the 11th of may 1997 that was the day that my son was seven year old it was his birthday so i'd had some lunch with him and then i disappeared with tony underwood down to, to, to weybridge Two little girls, one at five and one at six months, which was a challenge to leave them, if I'm honest, Bruce, you know, for two months. Um, and w when we had our first team meeting on the Monday morning, there was a film crew in the corner of the room and they were never introduced. And I didn't realise until later that back in 97, in the build-up to the tour, Geach was told, that, and Frank Cotton, the, the team manager, that there was going to be a film crew um, going to, to try to re recreate Fly on the Wall. And he said, no, 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 that's not happening. So it's, not, it's not happening. And he was told, basically, he got his own way with picking the players. So he had to deal with the fact that the film crew was coming. And how he chose to deal with them, he ignored them initially. He totally ignored them. And they were never introduced. And do you know what? They were with us throughout the week. They were wearing their kit. And on the Friday night, we all went for a drink together. And do you know the sad part of us all going for a drink together? We only did it on two occasions, Bruce. That was the first, and the second was after the third test. Because throughout the tour, the rugby was the priority. There was always somebody preparing for the biggest game of their lives. And the film crew were there, and I, I said, come on, boys, what are you doing? Why are you here? You've not been introduced. And well, we won't fly on the wall. And I just said, do you know what? You've no chance. There's only a player can get fly on the wall, a real fly on the wall. Um, and actually, unbeknown to me, they got some, some portable cameras that they were going to distribute, they were taking away three, they were going to distribute them to some of the players. And when we arrived in Durban, we went to the gym for the first time. And I, um, if you remember the scene in the gym, and I'd spoken to the and said, I don't do weights, I'm year old, I don't do weights, I've never lifted a weight in my life, I'm not doing them. And he went, well, you've got to come to the gym. And I said, well, I'll come to the gym, but I'll just do a bit of, you know, a bit on the bike, on the rower and whatever. And I did a knock, I'd got a knock on, on my bedroom door and it was the lad who was running the crew and he said, Bentos, can I, can I come in? He said, yeah, of course you can. He said, uh, I've got something for you. And he pulled out of the bag this snazzy little piece of equipment, which was, wow, I've never seen anything like it. Um, 
he said, it's yours, do what you want with it. And I took it to the gym for the first time, if you recall. Um, I spoke to that lovely girl called Lauren who was in the step. Lovely. Uh, and then there was a girl, her husband must have been very, very fortunate. She was beautiful. And then there was a big truck on the treadmill and I just said, here's one for the front five. So it was fun. You and I, it was fun. But, but Bruce, importantly, it also had to be about the rugby. You know, we were given no chance. No chance. And I promise you, when I rocked up in Weybridge in Surrey, I didn't really think we'd get a, a, a shot at the series. I thought we might win one test match. Test series, really. But actually, by the time we'd boarded the plane and left Weybridge and flew to South Africa, I thought we were in with a chance. I'd changed my mind. When you arrived at Weybridge, did you know all the players? No. No, I didn't. I didn't. I knew. I, I knew. I knew. The Newcastle boys, there were five of us. Uh, Stimo, Tate, Doddy, Tony. Um, uh, I knew that some of the Welsh boys from the Rugby League connection, Scott Quinnell, Scott Gibbs, Alan Bateman, um, Die Young. The Irish boys are easy. They're really We're only four of them as well. Everybody gets on with the Irish. Uh, but the English, you know, I didn't know the English. And uh, I remember asking Tony about some of them and, you know, what about Johnson and what about Delalio? And, and I, in particular, I spoke, I spoke about Gus. I asked him about Jerry Guscott. And I'd formed a bit of an opinion of Guscott prior to meeting him, which is a mistake, really. But I thought he was a little bit arrogant. He appeared a little bit aloof and arrogant. And he also didn't play in that game when Bath played against Wigan at Rugby League at Main Road, Manchester, and then at Rugby Union in, um, in, in, in Twickenham. And so I thought he was a bit soft, actually, if I'm honest. And I asked Tony about it, and Tony said, well, Bentos, if he respects you, you'll get on very well. And, he, and Tony said, he will respect you. And I said, well, you know me, Tony. If he doesn't, I'll pick a tackle shield in training, I'll let him hold it, and I'll throw my arm straight across the top of it, across the bridge of his nose, and we'll gain some respect. And actually, when he came into the room, I'd gone, and I, I was attempting to blend Bruce. And we were all meeting up for the first time. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of energy in the room. And I watched Guscott come into the room. What a presence. What an amazing presence. And he was laughing and joking. And we got brought together. And he put his hand out. I put my hand out to shake his hand. He went, ah, Bentos, I've heard a lot about you. Looking forward to spending some time. And I, I thought, wow, you know. And what, what, what certainly throughout that tour, um, what I did recognise, he wasn't soft. He was an amazing rugby player. A player that during extreme intensity can still stay up there you know when we were in the second test and we were just hanging in there we were saying best at times well probably for 60 minutes he still insists that we needed to push and keep playing and and he's become a great friend actually he's become a great friend and i, I mean i do talk about him i mean i'm sure we'll get into it but there's a there's an occasion when i scored a try that everybody talks about and uh I had an opportunity to come on passenger and I didn't. And I ended up getting over the line. And he sold to me. He told me, he said I should have passed. But do you know what? On the 28th of June, when that drop goal went, oh, that was his moment. And I always remember stood there thinking. And do you know that was, and I'm jumping way ahead now, but that was an amazing moment in my life that we'd been given no chance. We were on the field in the second test. Three minutes, three minutes remaining, drop goal goes over. 18-15, we lead in. Jenks had kept us in that game. And when the final whistle went, do you know, it was one of the most frustrating moments of my life, Bruce, because there were so many different places I wanted to be at that one moment in time. There was all the boys on the field. 
who had become amazing friends and colleagues. There was the boys who were integral, who sat in the stand, who were a big part of our success. And then, of course, there was my family and all my friends back home, a long way away. And I wanted to share that moment with everybody. And I just remember stopping and thinking to myself, oh, no, no, why? Why, of all the people, why did it have to be Gusto? <laughs> Do you know? Do you know someone as a Scotsman, and I've asked Gregor this: Why didn't you take that drop goal? Yeah, he, he carried the ball into contact. Actually, I know what the hell was he doing? He should have sat in the pocket and kicked the yeah, goal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was man really, and he's he's a great guy. Misinterpreted. People form an opinion of him, and it's it's a negative. Don't know him. I I privileged to know him now, and I can, I'm, I'm pleased to call him a good friend. And I was wrong about everything I thought about of him. He was an amazing and an amazing bloke, actually. Uh, we, we can't, we can't, or I can't move on. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, and, and we, we won't spend too long on it, but Doddy Weir was fabulous on that tour, oh. obviously. Nobody had ever heard of him, Pumalanga, and hasn't heard of it since, but if you were a rugby supporter, you, you remember it for pretty dark <laughs> reasons. And Doddy, I know you, you've been in touch with him uh, very recently. Uh, what a man. Yeah, crazy. Flawless. Flawless. And, and flawless as a human being. I would defy anybody to say a bad word about him. He walks into a room and lights the room up and he's always been fun. I like to use the word fun. Uh, but yeah, it was brutal. He, he obviously his talk came to end. I always remember because I'd, I'd, I'd used the camera for a couple of weeks and I'd said, Do you know what, to the boys, why don't I give it to somebody else? You get a different perspective of the tour. Yeah, everybody's relaxing now. They're comfortable with me with the camera. So I gave it to Doddy. And actually, when he got injured, I went to his room to pick the camera up and to say goodbye to him, actually. And uh, <clears throat> I remember going back to the room. And um, for that one moment, it's the only occasion throughout the tour, I wanted to go home. I didn't want to be there. It was like, what's it all about this? And, you know, I laid the pictures of the children out. and I got quite emotional about it, actually. But, yeah, and then, of course, for him to, to obviously, the tour end, ended like that and... and for the fight that he's got now, it's truly amazing. I mean, <clears throat> you know, Rob Burrows, another guy who's flawless as an individual who's struggling with the same condition as is Stephen Darby, the Bradford City footballer. I went for breakfast with them all, actually. And I remember watching the programme on BBC One that, that Sally had done. She did an amazing thing, 12, year, 12 months on. And Doddy had had a fall about six weeks earlier and he'd knocked himself out, knocked a tooth out, hurt his ribs. Uh, and was guided by Gary Armstrong, his good friend, was guiding him to his chair, uh, aiding him, because he'd lost his confidence a little bit with the walking. Um, and Rob wheeled in, in a, a wheelchair with his wife, uh, and Stephen Darby walked in. And I, I remember watching the interview, and I, Stephen struggled with getting his answers out. He got quite emotional towards the back end of his answers. And I'm sure he must have been thinking, 12 months ago, we all walked into this room, and here we are, this is where I'm going, it's... It's crazy, it's not, but they're doing an amazing job. And he's still so upbeat, he's done it. He's still so, and that, do you know, do you know something? I, I gave him a little bit of an hard time, actually, Bruce. Uh, I said to him he was doing too much. He was creating a legacy for MND and it should be with his family. And he was doing a lot of traveling all over the world and a lot of speaking. We were in Wolverhampton together. Um, and he said, Ben, to us, well, I can, I'm going to, well, I can drive, well, I can talk, I can walk, I'm going to. And, you know, the lockdown's created an opportunity for him to spend some time with the family. You know, the three boys and Mary Doll, Cathy. Although I'm sure, I'm sure he's been hard work at times because he'll not be easy to live. 
doing all, but uh, he's a great guy. He's not yeah. fair. Bruce, it's not fair. Life's not mm. fair. Nah, he's uh, he's some man. He's an absolute role model. So let's let's rewind to before that tour. Um, and one of my favourite stories is a is a story I've heard you tell a couple of times, because you didn't have that pathway to go straight no. into rugby. You had to have a real life before this nonsense kicked in. Yeah, that's right. I actually, I mean, I I I went to an white grammar school, which is a good school. I was punching to be there. Uh, but we played football. We played football on a Saturday morning and I played football. I captained the school side and I used to play a little bit of rugby league on a Saturday afternoon at Jewsbury Moor. And then on Sunday morning, I played at Clackheaton, which is where I'm from, where I started, where it all began. And incidentally, where I finished. So I tell people I started at Clackheaton, then finished at Clackheaton and there's a little bit in between. Um, and, I, you know, I went on the pathway. It was big. I, I played with Ockley. Ockley invited me to play. I got into the Yorkshire County side. We played in the, um, in, the, in the county championship and then the divisional championship was big. It was big. It was a springboard for international selection. Um, but I was up against a guy. I was playing in centre in those. I was up against a guy called Will Carlin, actually. Well, I didn't particularly get on well with, actually. He's not really my type. and We've not, got, we're not exactly got the same background. But he was obviously being groomed the the England captain and went on to do a great job with that. But that assured everybody, all the players, that the, the divisional chap, the north of England, Jeff Cook, who was the manager, would, would pick the team on form. It was all about performance. And I smashed Will at Morley, smashed him. Um, and ended up, the following day when they announced the north of England side, uh, Simon Langford, fullback, Michael Harrison, right wing. And then the stance as he stops, this has been a really hard decision. He said, it's obviously going to be disappointing for, for a certain player, and but I'm going to name Will Carlin and Kevin Sims. And it, of course, I've been left out. Well, I walked out onto the onto the field and um, held a tackle shield and then said, look, I've got to go to work. And I was a police officer. I joined the police in 87. Um, there was 60. There was a bit of a push for the, 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 the intake and there was 60 from West Yorkshire, 44 went to Bruges, 4 to Durham, and 12 of us, would you believe, had to go down to Cumbran in South Wales. Uh, which, incidentally, there was a World Cup happening in New Zealand and England, we got up at 6 in the morning to watch the game and um, Robert Jones scored a try to knock England out and we ended up fighting in lumps, all these coppers down there, they were giving us a load of crap. Anyway, I ended up, um, I ended up signing rugby league. I'd been approached Bruce for, for two or three years by different scouts and I got a phone call from Roger Millward at, um, at Hull Kingston Rovers uh, who asked to meet me they just signed um, they just signed Di Bishop the scrum half for the Welsh boy um, they were after what they felt was a, a rugby union centre because we know signing on fees or transfer fees between clubs with the rugby union boys um, and I went to meet them and they made me an offer and I said thank you very much and they put it in the press um, which which leads Alan Agar rang me and asked to meet me. Um, and I had a short injury with a shoulder and I ended up playing for West Yorkshire Police against South Yorkshire Police, which incidentally is up there with playing against South Africa, cop against cop, it's brutal, crazy. Um, and they came to watch me and basically said they wanted to sign me and I agreed to sign and it. I wanted to go across the sale to tell Fran and, and my teammates and Smithy face to face. And uh, 
I did that. Met Maurice Lindsay actually on the way across at Birch Services, who was <laughs> at Wigan, and he just said, "Whatever, whatever Leeds have offered you, um, we'll better it." And I said, "Do you know what? I've given my word. I want to sign for Leeds. I supported Leeds as a boy, so I ended up signing for Leeds. Had four years there, won nothing. Wigan won everything, um, but had a great time. I then went to Halifax, and of course." Um, yeah, it was, it was. I enjoyed the rugby league, Bruce. I really did enjoy the rugby league. It was very physical. Rugby league was very confrontational, although there were challenges. Um, I signed for Leeds. Everybody hated Leeds. They all thought they were the rich club. And I was from Rugby Union, so they all thought I was soft. That only happened once. It never happened the second time. And then, of course, I was a serving police officer. So you can imagine some of the sick. Hit the pig. Hit the pig. You know. It was great, but it was great, honestly, it was good. It was different. Rugby League was very different to Rugby Union. Very different, Bruce. And do you get motivation from people saying you're soft or you're not good enough or you're from Yorkshire? Or was that something that was a driver for you? Massive, massive. A little bit of an inverted chip on the shoulder, really, sometimes. But I've never been soft. I'm not soft. Um, they just assume that coming from Rugby Union, playing on the wing. Um but yeah, you know, in, in life we have to deal with adversity from time to time and disappointments. And I haven't in my private life had much adversity. But on the sports field, yeah, you have to deal with, take a good look at yourself sometimes. And it's all about performance and preparation. And it's about game time. And for me, game time's always been an opportunity to express yourself. You know, I've had lots of rugby coaches, but I haven't had many good man managers. I've got two that stand out that are astounding and very different in different ways. One... I played under him on three occasions. Um, he signed me at Leeds. Uh, I went to Halifax. He came to Halifax. Then he signed me at Huddersfield for the last year of my contract, which was a bit of a mistake, really, which we'll probably discuss later about coming to the end of things. But it's Malcolm Reilly um, from Cass who, who went out to play for Manly. Um, he was an amazing coach. And then the other one, of course, was Geach, who just inspired you, just encouraged you to go out and play. Don't ever come back in the cheering rooms and think, if only. And I loved that. I loved his man management style. And, you know, I loved his his, his method. And they were very different, but they were very important to me. Um, you've got to have belief, you know, and you've got to recognise that your coaches believe in you as well. And it seems life, isn't it? It's like parenting and bringing up children. You've got to be that role model, that figurehead as a father and, you know, to your friends and whether you in, in in the workplace, you know. One of the biggest challenges about managing people, Bruce, occasionally you have to tell people things they don't want to hear, you know, and it's it's how you do that, how you deliver that and, and the outcome that you offer them as well. So they've been very, very important people to me. You're you're an honest, honest man. And I can imagine that while you could tell somebody something they maybe don't want to hear, it would it would probably hurt you a little bit because you want to make people happy. Yep. But coming from a position of honesty, you would deliver that. Is there has there been points where, when you've done it, you've had to go away and have a moment to yourself because of the the news that you've delivered? The news I've delivered or received? Oh, either. Uh, but you you know you're talking about management. You've spoken yep. about two pretty big hitters there, yep. who, you know you you. Geach didn't select you and then he did so but your respect for him would help people respect you so when you delivered something maybe I didn't want to hear 
you see that it hurts, but it's delivered from a place of honesty. Did you have to go and just steal yourself a little bit or gather yourself before you went on to the next thing? Yeah, there was an occasion. There's a standout occasion for me on, on the tour, actually, and that, that, that's evident. We played 13 games, Bruce. There were 35 players vying to play in those games. If you play on a Saturday, every Saturday, you play in the tests. And ultimately, it's all about playing in the tests. Yes, you know, the build-up, we were eight games prior to the first test, which created a bit of problem on this last tour. They didn't have enough games, really, I don't think, uh, in the build-up to the test series. Uh, and as we saw, South Africa hadn't played for two years, but got better as the series progressed. Um, I got into the Saturday. So initially, I was picked for the first game, um, Eastern Province, uh, and I stubbed my toe in training. I couldn't believe it. Stubbed my toe and did I pull out the game? Um, and then we had a midweek game against Border, and I was still struggling with the toe. And James Robson, the doctor, the Scots, said to me, Ben, I just need to let you know, if you don't play, and we were talking about it on the, on the day of the game, if you don't play this evening, you'll be going home. You'll be on the plane home. So I had a cortisone injection in my toe. And I managed to get through the game and I got man of the match and all that rubbish. And, and then ended up playing on the Saturday um, against James Small, Western Province, which was a, a big game and a game that was taught a hell of a lot about in terms of the confrontation that was to be had between myself and James. Uh, and then there was a midweek game on Pamalanga when Doddy got injured. And then, of course, there was the Saturday game, which I was picked for. So I'm, 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 I'm rolling now. I'm, 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 you know, I'm in the Saturday side. 60 minutes into the game, as in having had a, as a result of having had a shocker, just just a rubbish game, I was off. Scott Gibbs came on, Alan Tate moved on to the wing, Gibbs in the centre with Scott. And I, I didn't need anybody to tell me. And the, the honesty which he spoke about, I knew that I'd be playing the following Wednesday. I knew I would be playing because the result of my performance, it wasn't good. It was, it was substandard. And do you know what, Bruce? Nobody had to say anything to me. I had to have a good look at myself. I probably went off tour for a couple of days, actually. And I stopped being the one with the camera and the jovial one and all this, that and the other. And I just recognised and I had to have a look at myself about why I was there. I wasn't there to make everybody laugh and be the fun guy and all this rubbish. I was there to play rugby. And I was there to play rugby and try and play in the tests. Um, and as a result, we played against Gauteng Lions at Ellis Park. We ended up winning the game, which is quite a tough game because we'd lost against the Blue Bulls. We were then going to Natal on the Saturday and then we were into the, the emergency and then the te first test. So we got the show back on the road, actually. We ended up winning the game and uh, I ended up... The, the, we got a standing ovation as we came off the field you know, for all the players who hadn't played. And I remember shouting, it was back on tour, so... That was my show back on the road. Yeah, that that confrontation with James Small. Yeah, the, the media love that stuff. But did that fuel you? Yeah, brilliant. Loved it. Really look forward to it. There was um, there's a lot of chat about James Small in the build up to the game, um, with the forwards, with Lonsdale Alley or Tim Robb and myself, how we would defend him, because he was billed as a character who wanted to make it the James Small show. You know, even within the West, and he was a great player. Uh, but a bit, bit, a bit mixed up, you know, a little bit of a, a, a troubled causer, really. Um, the ultimate with the game, he, he ended up, he ended up going around me on the on the short side of a scrum, Bruce. Um, 
And we, nothing had happened in the first half. We, we're not really coming to contact with each other. But early on in the second half, from the base of the scrum, the halfway line, 20 metres infield, he demanded me to see the ball from his scrum half. He's on the right wing, I'm on the left, which I normally played on the right, but was picked on the left. Then, due to an amazing piece of wing play on his behalf, and a rather shabby piece of defensive play on my behalf, again, he went round me. As I frantically got back to try and get hold of him, he kicked the ball on, it ran on, and it stopped from the try line. I think it was either Jerry Guscott or Neil Jenkins got back and touched the ball down, resulting in a 22-metre dropout for us. As I very embarrassingly made my way back, he came up to me, circling his finger like this, and he'd gone round me. He then went and stood about 30 metres away in anticipation of receiving this ball, points to me, points to the crowd, points back to me, and began to very, well, gesticulate again, very rudely. I dare show you, really, but... Um, at this moment, most of this crowd began to chain, chant words to the effect of James Smalls, I'm going to kick your ass, Bentley. And I am mate Bruce. I look, did what we've all done at some point, look for a shovel to dig a hole to climb in and hide. Yeah, I thought if I do it, I'm on the next plane home. I'm going to get out, I'm going to fight. Unbelievably. Five minutes later, the base of exactly the same scrum, he had the audacity to demand the ball and go for the same manoeuvre. On this across, I got across a little bit sharper. I took him high, like I like to. We ended, he ended up trying to slam the ball into my face. I ducked. It went out of play. We stepped out of the field over the sideline. And I just looked up and I felt I was out of sight of that camera down the touchline. And our heads just bumped together. And I told him in no We had a bit of a scuffle, Bruce. And I told him in no uncertain terms that he was going to not, not continue to have his own way. Again, about five or six minutes later, the ball goes up off Rob Howie's boot, comes down, he catches it, I tackle him. I'm on top of him, Bruce. He can't go anywhere. Fortunately for me, there's eight big forwards jump on the top of us two, so nobody's got a clue what's going on. And it kicked off like World War Three, honestly. And he can't go anywhere, and he's getting plenty. And the forwards start to pretend to do the usual, splitting it up, but sliding the punch in. Basically, to cut a long story short, I know I've rattled on, we won the game. I'd scored a couple of tries. I went to him to shake his hand after the game, live on television, in front of everybody. He offered me his hand, took it away, and then walked straight past me. And I actually went after him to make him shake my hand. And Tim Robb, the girl, my colleagues for Bentos, there'll be another day. But, you know, it's... Uh, of course, then, he got slaughtered for not shaking my hand and then accused me on the Tuesday morning of eye gouging. Which I didn't. I was in his face. I was all over him, I'll be honest. But I didn't gouge him. And I took it to Fran. It was front page of every national newspaper. And I took it to Fran and showed him. And Fran just looked at it and said, you didn't gouge him, did you? I said, no, I didn't. But I was in his face. He said, well, he's a guy who gets his own way. He didn't get his... came off the same best, so... And then just quashed it and it disappeared. I saw him actually after the first test. I didn't play. I was on the bench and we... They were in a bit of a, a down mood. They'd obviously lost the game at, at Newlands. And we shook hands and he apologised, actually, about how it had all get blown apart. So, How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He's saddling no longer with us, is he? No, I know. And I did wonder if he'd managed to get closure on that with him. So you've, you've got us there. Yeah, I bumped, I bumped into him in 2009 as well uh, in a bar in, uh, in I can't remember where we were. We could have been anywhere. Anywhere, anywhere. He was in a bar and I'd said, what, they'd interview me, what if you bump into Jane Small? I said, well, I'd love to have a pint with him. I'd love to have a chat with him. And I said, but if he wants a fire, I'm not bothered. I'll have a fire. I'm not going to suck you know. And uh, we got brought together and uh, we, had pounds, we had a chat and it was awkward. It was awkward, if I'm honest. It wasn't easy to, to to get on with. But he's a great player. But and then he disappeared, and you know. And then, of course, sadly, I was informed about the circumstance of his death, which is a real shame, really, for anybody. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was one of the the huge talking points of the tour. So, John Bentley always the policeman. Was that was that always? Uh a demeanour or a manner, did that suit you to be a policeman, your personality and your skills? Massive. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd look forward to joining the police. I, at 16, 17, I tried to get into the cadets and I was too small. I didn't grow until I was 17, man. I ended up six foot, um, which was a great thing. I would not recommend for anybody to go into the police force at such a young age. You've got to get out there and you've got to work with people. You've got to work with real people and understand people. And... The important thing about the, it was a police force, Bruce. I, I, I don't think it can be called a police police force anymore. It's a police service now, and the respect for the police is 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 is, is diminished. I loved it. It worked for me. Um, I, I joined the police force November, no June, eighty seven. Working in Leeds, um, Hyde Park, Burley, which is a tough area. And then I signed for Leeds, which worked for me, you know. So it's funny when I used to bump into the groups of the young kids and what have you. Initially, they'd see the, the, the uniform. And there's a bit of dislike for certain, you know, within certain quarters for the police force. Uh, but of course, beyond that, I was a rugby player as well and they supported Leeds. So it was a bit of an in for me. But uh, I've always enjoyed working with people. Um, policing's black and white, Bruce. It, it's written in law, is policing. However, it's all about interpretation. It's about dealing with situations which suit and fit. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that and making those making those decisions about how you deal with certain situations. I love fighting as well, and the police, the police and the rugby offered me an opportunity to fight, and I was good at it. 
Can, can you imagine getting yourself in trouble in Leeds and being chased out by uh, John Bentley? But I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest. The first time I ever tried to catch somebody from the and I lost him. Because his need to get away was far greater than mine to catch him. And he bolted across open roads. But I could run. And I was super fit. So I just used to track them. And you always know when you've caught somebody because you start to look over the shoulder. And, of course, I'd be talking to them, goading them a little bit. And I remember talking to chasing a lad on the on the riverbank and about four o'clock in the morning. And that chase we'd gone for a long time. And I was fit. I could catch him and throwing all my kit off and and he ran I ended up looking over and he turned there was police all over the place trying to find us where we were. And he just put his hands in there, so right, I give in. I said, No way in a million years we're having a fight now. You're not giving in. We had a scrap. Uh, a nice one. <laughs> Got to make it worthwhile, and then you, you get into rugby league. Now, rugby league then was a uh, well. It probably wasn't quite as rough and tumble as it was in the seventies, but it was still a it was still a tough old shift. Um, and the characters around were, you know, some pretty hardy men who were trying to put bread and meat on the tables. What what was what yeah. was that environment like? I quickly recognised that we were playing for money. I quickly, and it was important to some of the players that, very important. And I signed a five-year contract at, New, at Leeds, sorry. We then, on game day, we were playing uh, £300 for a win, £60 if we lost. Imagine playing against somebody like Featherstone. They'd perhaps be on £150 a win, £40 a loss. Now, to some of those players who were working five and a half days down a pit or manual work, the difference between winning and losing, that money, basically we, the washing machine's broken, we can buy a new washing machine this week or we can get a full basket of shopping, a full trolley of shopping. If on the Sunday afternoon, if, if, if you're carrying the ball towards me, if I break your jaw, we're going to win this game. I am going to break your jaw. I quickly recognise that. And the difference with the rugby league and the rugby union, the tackle area was from there to there. You know, that was the tackle area. You carried the ball. and But I loved it. I, I really did enjoy it. And we, we had some great days with it. And had some great friends as well. Um, but I, there was a difference between the rugby league and the rugby union. Very what, did, what, what did your week look like then as a, as a rugby league player? Yeah, well, in those days, Go to Super League. It went full time in '96, um, but we used to train just like a rugby union club would train. We would train on a Tuesday evening, Thursday evening, either a Friday evening or a Saturday morning, depending on what suited, and play on a Sunday afternoon. Everybody played on Sunday, so I had to combine my duties as a police officer with being a professional rugby league player. And actually, that that created a little bit of animosity. I mean, I think amongst some of the police officers because you weren't allowed to have a second source of income. You weren't allowed to run a corner shop or have another job. You were just a police officer. Yeah, I was getting paid to play professional rugby league. And amongst some, I just detected that there was a little bit of animosity. Not to my face, but that's why, Bruce, when when we went and knocked on a door and we had to go in and there was going to be some trouble inside, I was always first in the door. Nobody could ever say a shirt or anything. But I did get an allowance with doing my own shifts and being flexible with that. Um, and it worked. And it was deemed to be good publicity for the police force. 
playing professional rugby league, you know, as long as you're not getting sent off every two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and what, one of the story, and, and I want you to tell it, but I retell this, and I promise I give you credit for it all the time, because although I'm certainly not in the police force, but I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, I'm a parent, and I heard you tell this story yeah. about your advice to some cadets or some new yeah, starts, yeah. and I've taken it on myself, and I've also passed it on. So so please, yeah. from, from the horse's mouth. Yeah, it's it's applicable to life. It's not just about being there. But it was it was appropriate for me as a police officer to share it with a, another young police officer who I'd be showing around my area, which was a tough area. Uh, and I just, I basically just stopped this, this young police officer one day and just said, look, do you see that group over there? A group of young lads stood across the street where I'd be looking at us and, you know, up to mischief, no doubt. But I said, one day you'll be walking down the street and something will happen over there. And everybody on this street will expect you to go across there and deal with that situation. Irrespective of what you think has just taken place, go across and attempt to offer them the benefit of the doubt. Allow them to explain themselves. Go and be nice. Go and be nice to them. Do you know why? You can always get nasty. And you have a lot of people who can come and help you. And actually, if you get nasty straight away, you can't go to nice because we get it wrong sometimes. And I think that's so important about life. So my aim, when I meet people, I attempt to see the best in them before I look for the worst. And actually, give everybody a chance because we all make mistakes and I've made plenty of mistakes, Bruce, I can assure you. But yeah, it's, it's I think it's it's an integral thing. And teaching is very applicable, you know, very applicable, applicable to teaching when you're working with young people. And, you know, I'm envious of you being a teacher and perhaps I've had the opportunity to do this in my role in certain ways, but... A teacher's got a wonderful opportunity to make a difference for a young person's life. Wow, that's so powerful. And it can go either way, of course. You know, we can all remember our good teachers, can't we? We can remember a couple of bad ones as well. But, yeah, you've got a great opportunity, Bruce. Uh, I love it. And I, I've, as I say, I tell that story good. and people will go, oh, you're, you're name dropping, but I, I genuinely love it. Start nice and you can always get nasty yeah. or you can get angry, but it's you can't go the other way because you've already cast your chips, haven't you? I always remember coming home from work um, and then I'd get a bit of split time and I got to go to training then afterwards. And this is after I finished playing professionally. My wife is 3,000 feet with the kids. And the, the kids have a boy and two girls, like I've already said. They play the mum up a little bit different to the dads generally, don't they? The dads generally the big bad wolf. And she was 3,000 feet, fed up of them. And she asked me to, she asked me to go and remonstrate just... And I all stood. And I ended up getting quite animated, actually. And a bit of spit flew out of my mouth and landed on my son's nose. And the two girls looked down the line and the shoulders started and took it. My boy just stared at me. And I lost it. I lost it. I didn't do anything for it, but I shouted. I might have swore, actually, which was quite embarrassing. And I cleared off down to Clackheaton. And it was supposed to be a really easy session. We were having a bit of touch. I made it full contact and I smashed it for it turning. And I remember doing so anyway, I, I remember driving home, by which time I calmed down, Bruce. And I remember going into the house and my boy was sat there and I said, where are your sisters? I said, they're upstairs in the bedroom. I said, can you please ask them to come down? I'd like to speak to you all. And they went to him and I know the conversation, I'm going, come on, he's back, dickhead. Here we go again. So they'll come and they all stood ready, all staring at me. And I just, I just, you know what? I meant to say what I said earlier, but I said it was wrong. 
I'm sorry for that. And they just came, put their arms around me and patted me on the back. Dad, we know you're in no bed, but you're our no bed. So it was like, nice. And we do get it wrong sometimes, Bruce, don't we? And that's, I always think that's a, I always think that's a, it's a great quality to be able to say sorry. Although I've had, you know, I have at times said to looked and thought, stop saying sorry, change what you're doing. My life, oh, you think you can say anything just because you can say sorry afterwards, well, it's not good enough. Change what you're doing, stop saying sorry. All right, fair enough. Amen. Amen. You sound like me speaking to the, the boys. Yeah. yeah. Show you're sorry. Don't say you're sorry. Yeah. So then you police rugby league and then you get this chance to go and join Newcastle, which just sounds it's not really going to happen again because of the era that you were in and the situation that was coming. But some of those players, I mean, it was a, it was almost like a barbarians team, but you were able to train every week and play every weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think what we just slipped and missed out with rugby league went to Super League. It went to the summer, didn't it? It changed. They had an inaugural season in 95. They had a rugby league World Cup, which was great. Really enjoyed that. It was a proper one. And then we... We went to Super League. Um, and initially, it was only going to be a four and a half month season, initially. But they extended that. And new, I bumped into Rob Andrew at Newcastle, no, at Huddersfield. He was watching a game, commentating on a game. And he asked me if I'd fancied playing rugby union. And I said, yes. And we got embroiled in a, in a contract, well, negotiation then between the three parties, myself and Newcastle, which was quite, and Halifax. There's a guy called Nigel Wood who became the, the head of the rugby league. It, it became quite challenging um, to get this this contract sorted, but ultimately, without going into the final, I did. Um, and initially, initially, um, Bruce, Rob Andrew went with a with a solicitor was driving down to Bradford to meet me to sign a contract which would see me play for Newcastle for eight months of the year. But the important thing, I was going to live in Newcastle. So I was going to travel home on a Sunday after the game. Um, all the games were south of where we were, um, you know, so I used to meet the bus at Ferry Bridge. But no, sorry, let me just finish that bit. So initially I was going to live in Newcastle and leave the family at home. But the day that we're talking about was the 4th of September in 1996. And that was the day my, my third child was born. And she had a home birth to my wife, Sandy. Um, and Millie was born. And I, it was Faye's first day at school. And, I, and I'd walked the two across the school. And on my way back, I decided I couldn't leave them. I couldn't go to Newcastle. And I got back and my wife was crying, not believing how she could possibly manage with me living in Newcastle five days this week. And I rang Rob, who was halfway down. Uh, I said, Rob, I, I've got to pull out this day. I can't, I can't leave my family. He said, well, we're halfway down. We'll come and see you anyway. And he was amazing. He agreed that I was able to travel up on a Tuesday, there and back, up on a Thursday, there and back. All the away games, I'd meet them at Ferry Bridge. And occasionally for the home games, I'd take the family up and we'd stay up there. At the Gosford Park, the Mayor. He was amazing. And it was a great team. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that back line was Gary Armstrong, uh, Rob Andrew, who was probably the weak link, actually. Alan Tate and Twigger Marler in the centres, myself and Tim on the wings, and Stimmer, Tim Stimson at fullback. 
it was it was an amazing team, and the forwards were just unbelievable with Doddy in there and Gareth Archer, Lamb, Nick Popwell. It was just yeah, you're right. Um, it was it was like a barbarian side, an invitation side. And going from league to union, just one one was Monday, the next was Tuesday, and Bentos takes any stride. Do, do, do you know what, Bruce? When I made my initial switch from rugby union to rugby league, I was extremely fit, but I realised I needed to be. Was the need? It was a it was a step up with the rugby league boys. Now, whilst rugby league was extremely fast and dynamic, very confrontational. When you get tackled at rugby league, the game momentarily stops and then it restarts very quickly with the player of the ball. When I came back to rugby union in September '96, and my debut was against Blackheath uh, up at Kingston Park, I found that I forgot that you get the ball. My strength was always broken field running. Um, I wouldn't say I'd beat the man, I didn't beat the man, but you'd suddenly find yourself beating somebody. Coming towards, and then would you believe isolating yourself and getting to a point where you had to succumb to the tackle, go to the because let go of the ball, they pick it up and pick it back 40 meters from where I've come. And I'd lost, occasionally, you've got to come out of the contact and you've got to seek your support to maintain possession. And that was the challenge, but yeah, did enjoy it, did enjoy it. And we, we, we had a great, we had a great team. And from what I can gather, from speaking to Doddy and speaking to Gary Armstrong and listening to others, off the field, you became pretty close and enjoyed each other's company. Yep. What did they tell you? <laughs> well, it's a long bus trip back to Newcastle for some of those southern grounds. Uh, they used to like me getting on the bus. I used to bring the entertainment. Um, no, it was great. I mean, yeah, it is a long, it was a long, it was part of our life, wasn't it? You know, it's um, very enjoyable and great friends, great friendships established, um, just like with the Lions, you know, and, and, and all the, everything I've been involved in, actually, established some great friendship, everything, whether it be as a police officer, whether it be playing at Clackeen, whether it be walking around the park with my dog, you know, I love people. It's great to meet people. One of my favourite people you've mentioned, Ian McGeekin, but yeah. I, had his, I had his sidekick on here and uh, I've known Jim for a long, long time. What was your relationship like with Jim Telfer? He was a fortunate one because I didn't work with him. He worked with the forwards. But I remember, do you know what, crazily, I remember the five of us, the, the, the new boys from the Kingston Park. We'd been picked and, we, no, we hadn't, it hadn't been announced, but I remember Doddy saying, you wouldn't want to get picked for the Lions. What? Telfer, Telfer at the helm, and of course I remember us getting beasted in the scrum early in early early doors, in particular against Western Province. In a scrum session with the forwards, God, they were dying. They were at the apps, and I remember laughing to myself. That's why. But I, I loved him. I loved him. And do you know what? I used I didn't spend much time with him. Um, in terms of his coaching prowess, which is, I mean, he was amazing for that job. God, he told them to put the differences to one side and their egos. He was the boss. He was the alpha male. And there was a particular session where he laid down the law and he killed them. And they did adhere to everything he said. But I used to sit with him on his own from time to time. We used to have a coffee or a glass of orange. And 
we used to talk about life and about family and what a lovely man what a great a hard man but what a lovely man and I, I loved him to bits and you know probably probably the biggest the biggest speech i've ever heard was on the 28th of june when when we were out, about to outplay the second test and geach spoke about the challenge and he knew what it was like because he'd been there in 74 but in particular he didn't really speak much about the rugby if we were obviously one nil up but he spoke about the people we were sat amongst and the family and the people who would allow it to be where we was for that day and and he said you'd be still on the field today and they knew this it might be 10 30 years time you know before you see each other and i've been being on the field alongside each other where you can't speak and it'll just be a look you won't need to say anything oh it's so true and i tell you a funny okay, i always remember going into hong kong which i used to go all the time to hong kong I remember bump, bumping into john or martin johnson who was an amazing leader very quiet man actually initially didn't say much he was a young captain but he was a big guy the great presence and they wanted a big guy standing from detachment who again was big himself and uh john had gone he'd gone on on a on a week's trip to hong kong to do some speaking but he'd taken five of his pals from his little local club um who played rugby but not to any 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 high level and, and they'd hired a facility on Wang Chai. These lads, there are a couple of them experiencing everything that's good, possibly bad, about Wang Chai. And I remember seeing John, and we'd gone to do an event on the Tuesday evening with a bunch of solicitors and what have you. And all his mates were really giddy about the winning in Hong Kong, what have you. I'd just come there from Manila. That's why I'd been in Manila for the week prior. So I was a bit dusty, would you say? And uh, I remember seeing John on we walk, and he he has a little bit of a swagger, and he swaggered across and put his hand out and bent across with a with a like shy shy half smile on his face, and I knocked his hand out of the way and craned his head down and gave him a big kiss on his cheek and a cuddle. I swear, he looked as though I'd fisted him. He felt so uncomfortable with that. Honestly, it was unbelievable. But all his mates laughed. But I do that. And you know the business with Doddy, don't you? I always tell him he loves it. I love him. He never tells me. He sends me texts, but he'll never tell me in front of people. <laughs> I'm, open, I'm quite open with the rules. I've always been like that. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with displaying it. And to me. Well, I feel very honoured because I've got pictures. I've got evidence of you giving me a kiss, so I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of that, and I've got yeah. evidence to prove it. Bentos, I love, I absolutely love talking to you, um, and you've you've been all over. Now, one of the things I'm learning the more I do this and, and speak to people, people have only got the capacity to remember maybe four, five, six results in their life, yeah. yet we put so much stock in winning. Yeah. But the things we remember are feelings and people and and moments. Who or what or when is the one that maybe you were just in that utopian state of this? There's nowhere else in the world I would rather be right now. Probably the 28th of June, 1997. Although I contradict myself because I wanted to be in so many places, didn't I? But it was that one moment. It would just be nice if I could have had some of those people around me to share that experience. But it, it was that achievement of winning that second test, having been given no chance. We were given no chance, seriously. And we were second best for a good 50 minutes of that game. But 
that one moment when you thought, wow, this is, you can't get, you can't get better than this. It can't possibly get better. And is that then the evidence of what Geach said? It's creating those memories that then in 30 years' time, yeah. you'll but, just remember. You, you know, I think, it's, what we should, I think the significant thing about 97 is it was just, it was the advent of professionalism. You know, we were, I was paid. I got some money. Lions. It'd chew through your arm, wouldn't you? In God, couldn't believe it. Um, but they were actually talking about whether or not there was a place for the Lions in the professional era. Well, if you then look at 2001, that was a pretty ordinary tour. Uh, Graham Henry lost the chain rooms a little bit. Uh, it became a bit of a drag. 2005, wow. Um, Clive nearly destroyed the concept of what the Lions is all about. Tried to treat them as the England team and it doesn't work with the Lions. It's a special brand. It's a special way to, to, to bring the people together. And then 2009, back on track in South Africa. 2013, a win for Gats in, in, in Australia. And then quite an extraordinary result in New Zealand in 2017. The Lions is massive. It's absolutely, it's one of the biggest brands in world sport now. Uh, and the amount of supporters that travel. Now, of course, that'll have been extremely challenging this time for the boys. It'll have been crucial that they got on, they, they got on the group of players. And I think they did. They appeared to do so, didn't they, Bruce, from what we saw. Um, but there were no supporters there and they were in a bubble all the time. And it's a shame for them that they didn't have the experience that we've had previously. So... But it's, you know, being on 2025, you know, it's back to Australia. What, what, did, your, what did your league mates say to you about the Lions? Um, it's funny because I, I, not much really, not, not much. It's, it's a bit different. It's, I don't even know if they'd have watched it actually. I don't, I don't even know if they'd probably watched it. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was, it, I mean, it was difficult, actually, because hard for me. Because I came back and it was the the Rugby League and Super League had set up this ill-fated World Club Challenge. So Halifax were in a group with playing Canberra Raiders, Canterbury Bankstown and Brisbane Broncos. And I got off on the plane on the Tuesday and they wanted me to play on the Sunday against Canberra. And I couldn't. I just couldn't. But I played the following week against Brisbane Broncos and ended up popping a rig cartilage, genuinely, Bruce, which was probably one of the most frustrating injuries I've ever had because you can't show anybody anything. And it's even, it was 10 weeks before it's mended. So I missed the start of the season at Newcastle as well with it. And I got under, came under a little bit of pressure about playing. And I actually padded it up and thought, if I get smashed on this, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. But ended up getting through it all and what have you. But no, it was, it, was, it was back on the horse, really, as soon as I got back with the rugby league. And I, I can't really remember, actually. I don't think there was too much said, really. But I don't know. <laughs> it's a, the, the Lions is a funny thing because although Martin Johnson was a phenomenal Lion the image in everyone's head is lifting the World Cup. Yeah. Um, you know, Johnny Wilkinson, unfortunately, the era he was in is is the yeah. Lions experience wasn't maybe what it could have been for someone of that ability. So he's 
he's an Englishman. Um, you know the, but there are certain people who are a are assigned lions. If yeah. somebody mentions John Bentley, the first thing that pops into your head is British and Irish lions. Absolutely no question. Nice. Is is that is that a nice thing to have as your sort of calling card? Amazing. I'll look it. I'll look it. So privileged, actually. I, I just, I was just in the right place at the right time with the right people picking what they felt was the right type of player as well, incidentally. Um, yeah, just, just, and it's such a fun tour. I was, you know, but it was a successful. Do you know what, bro? It's 133 years they've been touring. Do you know how many times they've won the Test Series? It's not many. I should know. How many? Half a dozen? Five. Five. So, 71, 74, 9, 97, 2013. I always say to Geach, Geach went on seven Lions tours, you know. I do quite a lot of work with Geach. Love him to bits. He went two as a player, 74, 77, five as a coach, 89, which was only the third win of five. 93, which was a poor tour. Um, 97, which was a happy tour. 2005, when Clive got it wrong. And then 2009, show back in the New Zealand. I always say to Geach, ask him two questions. Firstly, um, in 74, when they shouted 99, what did you do? And he talks about, yeah, he talks, chat with Phil Bennett at the back and the call has hit the first South Africa. It's Phil Bennett's story. He ended up picking on a 12-year-old ball boy. Who put up. Um, and then I always say, of, of the five as a coach, the five as a coach, which was your favourite? And was it because I was there? And he always says, and he's learned to say, Ben Toss, you're right, 97 was my favourite, despite you being there. <laughs> That's uh, what what a brilliant memory! What a brilliant guy to to have as your sidekick. It's just so many happy memories for me that '97 tour, heroes, and I'm still I'm still in awe of the the men that went on that because it it yeah. meant so much and it was such a almost a coming of age for the Lions, for pro rugby, for for players, for me as a supporter. And now, although there's fly on the wall documentaries, they're they're not living with the Lions, are they? Yeah. Oh, no, no. It, can never, it will never be replicated. The, the, the big thing as well is social media now as well, isn't it? And, and you know, just just finishing off where you, obviously when you spoke about, very nice about me, you recognise us. Actually, I, I'd probably disagree with you. I would say people had mentioned my name and think Clack Eaton first. Um, yeah, which is just not long. We had our most confusing day of the year, Father's Day. Yeah. Really challenging, quite. Um, but um, do, do you know we've we, we lots of podcasts and Zoom calls and what have you? Know, I did some calling, so I really enjoyed doing it. 11 episodes with Alistair Eakin, uh, Bruce. And the amazing thing about listening to Martin Johnson and Lone Stilalio and Jerry Guska and Will Greenwood, incidentally, who nearly died on that trip. They still, despite you saying, yeah, John, I'll lift the world up, they still talk about 97 being their happiest touring experience above every other thing. you know. And I think that's quite amazing, really. 
But it's like, going back, you know, it's it's going back to my life. It's I had not much to select from other one tour score, one try, go one speed. Get over yourself. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth it. Bedos, I, I could talk forever and, and I hope that with the world opening up eh, I'm going to get to see you again and I'll, I'll get to share a microphone with you because I've loved it the times we've done it before but I always ask people to finish off and I'm intrigued as to where this is going so for John Bentley happiness is to the people people we're back with people and my grandson I've got a grandson Bruce um, he's called Jasper he's only three and I, can I tell you, it's amazing. It's an amazing love. Um, there should be a way to bypass the parenting and go straight to grandparenting, you know. It's far more enjoyable. You make time, you look forward to it, you don't have to be the big bad wolf, and you can give them back. <laughs> I love it. I've ordered, I've ordered another eight. <laughs> Get cracking another eight. I can imagine coming to see you is an absolute barrel of laughs and something that we man looks forward to. We have fun, bros. I've no doubt. And I think you'll continue to do that. John Bentley, an absolute honour always. Thank you for your yeah. time and I look forward to seeing you soon. My privilege. Well done, bros. Thank you. You're good. Thanks, pal. Love you. Take care, buddy. See you soon. See you, man. Well, He's your favourite lion, he's my favourite lion, I'm pretty confident he's most people's favourite lion, John Bentley, so much in there and he loves people and he loves being happy, strikes me that he was on the right podcast, I can't wait to see the guy again and maybe get another one of those smackers on the cheek. If you've enjoyed it, you can tune in on Apple, Acast and Spotify, you can watch on Facebook and YouTube, leave us a review, tell your friends. Bentos was here. My name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast and my happiness is egg-shaped. I look forward to seeing you all very, very soon. Stay safe. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. Love's a circle with no end. Um, happiness is egg-shaped egg and love's a circle with no end. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.